1: at 800-516-1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network.
2: Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Whether we talk McDonald's reporting negative gas traffic in all major segments around the world, wow. Or we're talking about Chipotle and how Chipotle had a miss based on some really cold weather in January and February, but also on some other issues <clears throat> tied towards home sale uh, or tied towards uh, pork co- and pork costs and quality pork and not enough pork for the carnitas, which about 7 to 8% of their menu item sales. Buy an opportunity for one, at Chipotle. It's weak today. McDonald's, on the other hand, is near a 52-week high, all-time high. It's got a reasonable valuation. You could some say there's some value in it because they, they looked like a really, really bad quarter, almost intentionally. And that could set the stage for a rebound or a turnaround. That's what the show will do. You listen, and I'll do my very, very best to you know, deliver some content for you. Facebook reports earnings tonight. Great expectations. It's one of my favorite stocks in the world of media. They just control a lot of eyeballs, and I think they're well-positioned to gain significant share of online advertising because they know the most about us, and advertisers want to know the most. There once was a day, and like, look at radio. Uh, radio companies, like the one I work for, they have to take some guesses on who's listening, what age. Now, it's it's educated, you know, surveys and such like that, Nielsen ratings, but it's not accurate. Uh, right now, I don't know if it's a 30-year-old beautiful woman listening, or if it's a 90-year-old man who, you know, hates the system and is bitter and resentful, um, and clings to life preciously. So mobile advertising accounted for 69% of Facebook's advertising revenue in the fourth quarter, up from 53% in the year-ago period. So they're gaining. Um, They don't have a lot of super growth with the size of their company and the size of their audience is already supersized. But they can dominate the advertising world because right now they know that, you know, Rob Black is 40-something. They know I'm white. They know what college I went to, my education. They know where I work. They know my title at work, which can basically tell them how much money I make if I don't want to, you know, offer that up myself. They know what vacations I go on because of pictures pretty stunning what they could sell to advertisers. They know the street that I live on. So for instance I got a seminar coming up in San Jose. I can find some of the wealthiest streets in San Jose and say I want to advertise to those Facebook users only. Or I could say I want to advertise to people who make over 100k in you know this uh, school district. And I'd pay for that because it's actually getting hits that of people I know. Like if I buy advertising on CNBC I don't know who's watching today. I don't know if anyone's watching today. Let's bring on CFP, Chad Burton. Let's welcome in, CFP, Chad Burton. Mr. Burton, how are you today? Excellent. Let's talk a little, uh, we do wealth preservation retirement planning seminars. You can find out more about one coming up shortly at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. One of the things that you have to worry about in retirement is asset allocation. There's a phrase that I use that asset allocation is more important than the market. And people, you know, continually want time to time the market, but asset allocation, retirement falls in your court.
3: Yeah. Asset allocation, but it's also asset location. So the different asset classes that are out there, which types of accounts do you hold them in between your, your cash accounts, your taxable accounts, your IRA, your Roth, um, where do you hold them? I mean, the first thing that you got to look at is, is, uh, an overall strategy that you need in retirement, which is how are you going to draw and where, what accounts are you going to draw from first? A lot of people make the mistakes of drawing from just their cash first and then holding off on their IRAs, and then they find themselves at age 70 and a half in a really high tax bracket. So um, you take the approach that, as I've talked about on your show many times, you need three years of portfolio draws in cash, right? That's typically in your taxable account. You then need at least about 20% of your portfolio in, in most retirees' cases, if they're kind of the general retired person scenario. You want about 20% of your portfolio in dividend-paying stocks, but they are stocks that have a history of increasing their dividend on an annual basis, so you have constant income regardless of what the share price is doing, and an income that increases even when the markets are down. Um, then you need about 20 to 30 percent of your portfolio. Uh, and what, what you try to do is, is it's, it's really good, and, and a lot of financial advisors, a lot of publications agree that you, you should try to get about 20 to 30 percent of your retired retiree income needs, Rob. From a form of guaranteed lifetime income, for example, social Security is a form of guaranteed lifetime income. A pension you can't outlive is a form of guaranteed lifetime income. Well, people can also do this on their own and create that with um, certain products out there. And I hate loaded variable annuities. why? But there are so because the fees are so high. okay? they, they have these guarantees, but the internal fees are like three and a half percent uh you, you you buy them you can't get out of them for 7 to 10 years somebody gets a like huge commission involved and they don't help you manage it there are some no load versions of this where you can be in a balanced portfolio and no matter what the market does you'll get 5 to 6% income for life it's not a principal guarantee it's a lifetime guaranteed income and you need that longevity guarantee in your life so what if you do outlive that 86 number that is the average age of death now so you want to get 20 to 30% of that. So what I typically do is have about 20% of a portfolio in a, a, a no-load product. So Because if, if bonds ever go to a point where they're attractive again, I might get out of those products. I might not recommend them anymore. But right now, they're an okay bond alternative. Um, and then the rest of the portfolio is a very conservative um, ETF, no-load fund portfolio that you'd want to have. And so in your taxable accounts, you would want, more of the large cap, mid cap and tax free bonds. And then in your retirement accounts, that's where you would have more of the the, the types of dividend paying stuff that don't qualify for that 15% dividend tax. Um, so some you know things like national partnerships and oil and gas deals, um, other stocks that don't qualify for that 15% dividend tax. So you need that overall kind of pieces of your overall portfolio. You need the cash that you're going to draw from. You need the pieces of your portfolio that are going to feed it, but also pay attention to where you hold the asset classes. If it's an income producing vehicle and you don't need the income yet, hold it in either an IRA or a Roth. If it's more of a long-term hold in a growth asset, that's that's going to be in your taxable accounts.
2: Okay. So asset allocation, critically important in retirement, different than when you're younger. Um, you got to know your tax brackets.
3: You do. It's really important to know your marginal bracket. That's what, what's the next dollar that I receive. What's it going to be taxed at? So when you retire, things are changing. You no longer have a paycheck. So the first thing you do is you look at your overall situation and you say, before I draw from anything, what are, what's my automatic tax bracket going to be? I'm going to have my Social Security income. I'm going to have dividends and interest from my stock and bond portfolio and my taxable accounts. And the first place you look to draw is actually your IRA. A lot of people hold off for as long as they can. But a married couple filing jointly can have about 70000 of income from IRAs and Social Security and pension plus an amount of income equal to their itemized deductions and still be at a 15% bracket, which, you know, right now, at this point in time when we're talking, is the same as the capital gains rate. It right. could be lower going forward, depending on what happens to our tax code. So it's it kind of complicated in retirement. You know, it, it, it's, it's complicated on the initial setup, but once you get a detailed income plan going, then it kind of gets automated. It kind of makes sense. Yeah.
2: Good stuff to know. You can learn more about this kind of topic in more. Coming to a Wealth Preservation Retirement Seminar, Uh, something Chad and I do together. It's great to meet people, put faces and names together, and it all starts to kind of click for people. You can learn more about upcoming seminars at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find more about Chad Burton. He's a certified financial planner with New Focus Financial at chadburton.com. That's B-U-R-T-O-N or newfocusfinancial.com. Got an event coming up in San Jose this Saturday. Two events, in fact. Sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Black talking money, investing in more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. In particular, you know, if you were to boil it down, today's top stories are Chipotle shares sinking as pork shortages cutting into their sales, concern over a shortage of pork drove shares of Chipotle lower, drop in Carnita sales coupled with bad weather weighed on same store sales year over year. you got to assume that you're not going to have bad weather every year, and you got to assume that they're going to figure out the pork shortage, or you don't have to. You still look at the company and see it as expensive. I would never buy, you know, once in shares of Chipotle, CMG, and say, I'm done. One and done. I'm done. Boom! Existing home sales explode. Sales recovered after setting a weak pace in January and February, when an extremely cold and snow-filled winter cut into purchases. Relatively low mortgage rates and robust hiring has raised expectations that sales will improve after slipping slightly in 2014. McDonald's reports negative gas traffic in all major segments, whether it was the United States, Europe, or the Asia Pacific, East and East and Africa, Middle East and Africa. First quarter was awful. I would expect that this time next year, I'll be saying more positive things about their quarter. McDonald's reported a negative guest traffic. Um, And that's almost unheard of. So hurdles, and again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist genius to say, I don't like McDonald's. It doesn't take, you know, a lot of mathematics to figure out, like, demographic trends are changing. Younger people are trying to eat healthier. But in the end... the the volume, volume, volume that companies like McDonald's can do. They're not going to go out of business anytime soon. Hurdles are rising for the Comcast deal. The Justice Department antitrust enforcers doubt their concerns about Comcast's planned acquisition of Time Warner can be resolved by promises of the cable giant, you know, how would they conduct business after the merger? You know, it's an interesting merger. Two cable companies don't really compete with each other because you typically only have one cable provider in a region. So, there's not competition there, and they will, you know, they will be pretty dominant, in my opinion, in uh, content. If you take a look at the properties that Comcast would own, keep in mind they bought GE and, uh, GE's NBC Universal. Uh, Plus, they own things like the Flyers, and it's just, it's absurd how much they own of media product, product stations and, and channels not a big fan of Comcast. I, I think, again, I'm not going out on limb here. Oh, Rob doesn't like a cable company. But even more so, I think the one big thing that they have going for them is the sports. Um, every dad wants to watch baseball with his kid. So it's like you can't go out and say, um, I can't have it. You know, I'm going to cut the cable, but then I'm going to, It's it's pretty frustrating trying to piece together, you know, the shows that you do want to watch and the sports that you do want to watch in aftermarket packages, it, it creates a hurdle for, you know, obviously, uh, cable companies. Uh, it creates a hurdle for you leaving cable companies. But new product from Apple a new product from Dish and new product from uh, a couple other providers out there who are trying to get, you know, packages put together of certain channels, it's getting better. So anyway, um, not a big fan of Comcast because as an investor, I see the theme of people wanting to leave that and not wanting all those channels. Facebook promoting your friend's post and limiting others' reach. That's a big story today. Facebook wants to make the news feed more friendly again. I'll be honest with you. Um, my Facebook usage has gone down drastically in three years. Um, I don't know about you, I've got a Facebook page that you can sign up for and like, Kron4RawBlack, K-R-O-N4RawBlack. i got a Twitter Rob Black show and a YouTube channel, Rob Black Show. But Facebook has just kind of, it's become too, I'm not going to say too big to navigate, but, you know, me and a radio producer earlier this week had some technical difficulties. I'm like, let's use uh, Facebook's uh, phone call service to do a radio show. So that's what we did on Monday. Um, or Tuesday, I don't even remember, Monday. Uh, and he's like, so where do I find that? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I know it's there. So I did the show, you know, through, not Skype, because Skype was having these problems, but through Facebook voice. And it took us 15 minutes, 10 minutes to figure out where, and that's the, one of the problems with Facebook at this point in time. Facebook reports earnings tonight, and I think they're going to be stellar. Sony is upgrading their forecast for the year. Uh, saying they'd expect post-operating income to be more than three times higher than predicted. That's a company that's restructured. It was big enough. It took some time, and it's done it. They're out of the doghouse. Strong jet deliveries have lifted Boeing's profits 38%, thanks to strong airplane deliveries in the first quarter, but revenue was dragged a little bit lower due to some lagging sales from the company's defense division. You know, Boeing is a company that I like for the long-term patient investor. Air traffic's growing Uh, World growth has been growing and we're putting more airplanes in the sky all the time, all the time, around the world. Coca-Cola, their profit topped expectations because of a price hike. They reported a quarterly profit that beat Wall Street expectations as the largest beverage maker raised prices to offset slower growth. The maker of Sprite, Dasani, Powerade, and other drinks um, helped its global volume grow 1%, reflecting gains in both soda and non-carbonated drinks. I remember Coke announced a couple quarters ago that they're coming out with a milk product that has less sugar and more protein, and it's been used in a lot of um, power drinks. You know, basically it's a filtration process, and Americans want less sugar and more protein, and it's going to do quite well, but when are they going to start selling? I haven't seen the Coca-Cola milk product out there yet. Twitter has brought in their ban on violent threats. When it comes to violent posts on its social network, Twitter has long held that it would only seek to ban direct specific threats made by others on its microblogging service. The company has decided that simply promoting violence against others is enough to get a user suspended. Um, one of the big problems with Twitter, it, it's just filled with hate. You, know, you can't go on and, and read your own you know, issues about you. Uh, some people can, I mean you have to have a really thick skin because if you're out in the, in the public, uh, you kind of ask for this. I mean there's some just, back in 2006 I predicted, you know, real estate prices to go down because it would just gotten too hot, too far, too fast, and I think they will again when interest rates start to move higher, but when do interest rates move higher? I think we're in a speculation phase at this point in time of real estate prices, and it could go on for 10 more years if interest rates stay this low. Um, it's tough to say. The supply-demand issue is real. There's not a lot of supply out there and, you know, demand is growing. So that's one of the things that is wasn't there a couple of years ago, but it's now forming to... That would slow the pace of uh, falls. But back in 2006 people were like throwing out death threats at me uh, online. It comes with the territory. Uh, big event coming up this Saturday in San Jose. I'm going to talk real estate. I'm going to talk some of the stocks that I own. I'm going to talk investing. Money 101, all things financial in San Jose from 9 to noon and in the afternoon we we'll preservation time at planning from 1 to 4. You can sign up for a it at robblack.com That's robblack.com
1: I know what you're trying to say, baby You're trying to say, oh yeah It's business time
2: I'm Rob Black, talking to all things financial. Joining me now, Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist with Briefing.com. How are you today, Mr. Rosen?
4: I'm pretty good.
2: Pretty good? Um, the housing numbers that we saw out today, it was something that I think uh, should have helped the market, the existing home sales report for March. Um, what did we get from those numbers?
4: I mean, sales beat expectations, and I think that's the, the key. If you've looked at uh, economic releases going back the last couple months, just about everything has come in below expectations. So the fact that we had a, a nice positive surprise, uh, I think, helped at least the feeling that things are getting getting improving, things are getting better. Uh, the numbers themselves were pretty strong, uh, Comparably, and these are relative comparisons. It was the best sales number since September. We saw a down move in investor demand and upward move in first-time home buyers. So the trend is getting back to a more normal uh, selling environment. And since this is March numbers, and the real big selling season starts, uh, you know, in the next couple months in April, May, and June. So the fact that things are improving, things are looking good, it gives you a little bit of hope that uh, we're going to get some nicer numbers going forward. Uh, There's still the same problems that we've seen. Uh, prices are moving up too fast. We're having uh, low supply constraints, which make it more difficult to have a real nice acceleration in uh, in home sales. But overall, I think that the fact that we had a positive surprise in a number that is economically meaningful is really the key here, considering we haven't seen that, uh, you know, or experienced that, you know, in the last few weeks at least, probably a few months, uh, you know, at best.
2: I tend to say, Dr. Jeff, that there's no right answers in economics, just compromises. And my knowledge of economics is one, one millionth of yours. So when I see a number on the housing starts that look, or the housing numbers look really good, prices going up, as a homeowner I go winner, but as a renter I go loser. And that comes into the there's no right answers. Am I on to something with right answers or do you disagree with me? I mean you're
4: right. I mean there's always a winner and a loser in in economics. And the question is how many more winners than losers do you have? You know, if in the aggregate the winners are majority that's good. If in the aggregate the losers are the majority that's bad. And in this case, you, know, you really don't know. I mean, the, the the fact is, the market itself is not functioning as a normal market. I mean, normally we have 40% uh, sales come from first-time home buyers. Right now, it's 30%. Normally, you have uh, new homes. Uh, sorry, you have existing home supplies inventories of around six million. Right now, we have, you know, or six sorry, not six million. Six months. Right now, we have uh, a little more than four and a half months' supply. So there are constraints that are going to prevent, you know, strong growth. As a homeowner that's not looking to sell, you know, that might be a good thing. You know, if you're you're looking at the fact that your prices are going up and maybe uh, you could take some money out of the house and and buy some stuff that you wanted to buy or invest more in your home because the home's worth more so you can get a a second loan on your house, you know, maybe that's a good thing for you. You In the overall stream of things, you know, I don't really know in this case. You know, it's nice that we had a positive surprise. You know, that's what I think uh, I would I would hang your hat on. The fact that things looked a little bit better than we've seen, the fact that this was probably the best sales report we've gotten in at least 12 months, probably a little bit more than that, is really what we should be focusing on.
2: Okay. I can go with that, work with that per se. Um Fed rate decision. <clears throat> Your compatriot at the briefing, uh, who does the morning, uh, page one, Patrick O'Hare, he mentioned something like some days it looks like the Fed's going to raise rates and that's a good day, some days it looks like the Fed's going to raise rates and it's going that creates a bad day on the market. Uh, stripping the market out of it, when do you think the Fed should raise rates? Is there a right answer here?
4: I mean, the right answer, in my opinion, is the Fed waits for as long as – what the Fed's mandate is. You know, we're expecting 2% inflation. We're expecting uh, full employment. If you look at where we're at today, you know, the unemployment rate looks good. I would argue that the unemployment rate is biased, and a more true representation of the unemployment rate is you know, at least a few percentage points higher. So we're talking instead of 5.5%, maybe it's 7.5%, maybe it's 8%. You know, is that a market that is overheating? Is that an unemployment rate that we're willing to bet that wage growth can can occur at? And I would argue no. I would still say that employers are the – in the aggregate, employers have more control over wages than employees, meaning that an employee who wants to leave for another job is not likely to find a job that is significantly higher paying. And if we look at where our inflation is, especially if we, even if we wipe out energy, we're still coming in well below what the Fed's target is. So why would we raise rates when raising rates would only add to unemployment lows and only cause a more uh, downward move in inflation growth? And I, I don't see a reason for that. I mean, if you talk to other economists, maybe you get a different answer, but I'm in the camp of uh, – You know Larry Summers and Paul Krugman and and that type of respect. Where, you know, right now, there's no reason for a rate hike. There's there's no signs of overheating and there's no signs of, you know, inflation coming on in the next few months. There's no signs of a vast improvement in jobs. So why are we talking uh, a rate hike? There's nothing in it that that. To me, signals that we should do it. You know, and and the fact is, you know, and I've been saying this on your program for quite a while. The money, the market, the the monetary policy situation. We know for for with evidence, with strong evidence, how to counter inflationary pressures. What we don't have is good uh, tools to fight deflationary pressures. And when you have inflation coming in below target, and you raise rates. Before it's economically necessary, you have a better chance of being pushed into a deflationary environment. And what we're seeing from Japan, what we're seeing from from Europe, what we're seeing from Sweden is that raising rates too early causes much more headaches. The fact is, if inflation accelerates beyond what we want it to be, if inflation growth tops 2% and goes to 3%, goes to 4% even, the Fed knows how how, how to fix that, how to get it back to where we want it to be. The Fed can't fix a zero inflation rate or a negative inflation rate, and I would be more happy to have to deal with the consequences of too high inflation than try to deal with the consequences of too low inflation. Changing topics, just to get your perspective on this. I'm speaking with Dr.
2: Jeff Rosen, chief economist, briefing. dot com. Asian countries have borrowed an enormous amount of money <clears throat> during their financial crisis and the financial stagnation period of the global economy. The U. S. has a lot of debt. Uh, Europe has created more and more debt, and you can see it, you know, in a very bullet shot into Greece just alone. Um when does this debt catch up to us? Does it ever catch up to us? Is it a if you service it, everything will be okay or is it going to be a problem in my lifetime or your kid 's lifetime or when do you think
4: the debt issue worldwide hits you know, i 'm not too concerned right now, and a lot of it like okay. let we'll 's stick to the u s you know debt i mean the fact is when when you the way the banks are structured today they're required to hold more you know, quote, safe assets. So we're going to have, you know, more holdings of treasuries going forward. So I'm not too concerned that we're going to lose out on that. And if you look at what the interest rates are on the debt, it's fairly low. I mean, really, really low. And if you look at what expected inflation is, you know, real uh, expected interest rates right now are negative in the U.S. And, you know, at that point, you know, it's not a big deal. I mean, the fact is servicing the debt and and getting what what we need out of the debt is okay. I'd be more concerned with, uh, you know, a situation where interest rates were rising, but I don't see that happening right now, and and I'm hoping the Fed keeps things, you know, more under control. So, you know, at this point, we're talking decades out, you know, to have any type of crisis, at least in the U.S., sector uh, with the way that debt is structured. So I'm not too concerned. How about things like Social
2: Security, the entitlement programs, Medicaid? Will that become a, an anvil around our children's neck, or do you think we, we tinker with the formula a little bit and we continue to slide out of it?
4: I mean, it all depends on, you know, what politicians are willing to do. You know, right now, politicians understand that you know, the older you are, the more likely you are to vote. And tinkering with Social Security and Medicare is not a political, politically feasible idea. It's not going to get done. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, my my wonderful state of Illinois and, and the pension crisis that we have here, that you know, no one wants to fund it because no one wants to raise the taxes that are necessary to fund it. You know, no one wants to change the pensions. No one wants to change Social Security. No one wants to change the, uh, you know, Medicare uh, requirements because those are the people that vote you in. So until someone is willing to say, hey, you know, I'm willing to take the political, you know, brush back on it, it it makes it more difficult. And right now, you know, the fact is you can't be constrained by just cutting spending. You need to raise rates, or sorry, raise taxes and, you know, pretty much across the the spectrum to to get everything back into balance, but no one's willing to do that. So, you know, is it going to be an anvil around our children's necks? Probably. Is that a good thing? No, but that's just life.
2: That's Dr. Jeff Rosen. He's a PhD doctor with Briefing.com, economist, chief economist. You can find out more about Briefing at Briefing.com, a good resource for investors. Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate it enormously. Let's take a look at the Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao fight. And boxing is a fascinating sport to me. It's, it's barbaric. It's everything that everyone says. And yet, when you watch it, you can't take your eyes off of it. We're two weeks away from the most anticipated fight in recent boxing history. Floyd Mayweather is the wealthiest athlete. He's been paid more than any other athlete in the world. Stop and think about that for a second. He makes lots of money. He flaunts it. The lifestyle of Floyd Mayweather is egregious, to say the least. Um, Both boxers are going to make well over $100 million. I think Mayweather is going to get about 60%, while Manny Pacquiao is going to get about 40%. This has... uh, a mass appeal, this fight, because they both at their peak were the best fighters pound to pound in boxing history, some would say. I don't know boxing history, so don't, don't bark down my throat. They're expected pay-per-view in 3 million homes at $100 roughly a pop. That's going to generate $270 million in revenue. If it hits 4 million homes, $360 million. If for some reason they come out and one of them knocks each other out quickly, they could pull in hundred million dollars for like what are you thinking, you know, a minute of work? That's one of the craziest things I've ever thought about. Ticket sales are expected to pull in seventy two million dollars. The whole fight's been a mess as far as um since it's been announced, there's just been confusion. International broadcast rights thirty five million, closed circuit broadcast at bars thirteen million, sponsorships twelve million, merchandise sales one million. Sixty percent of the revenue going to the Boxers are going to Mayweather, forty percent to Pacquiao, and his team. One twenty million dollars slice of the pie revenue between one hundred sixty and one hundred eighty million will be split depending on who wins the fight, with the winner taking ten point two million and the loser taking nine point eight. So you do have a small incentive for winning, and everything else is pretty darn mathematical. I don't know why I find this story fascinating. Do you like now that I've talked about it a couple times? A boxing match pulling in 300 to 400 million plus dollars? Whoa. Um, that's just me. I guess, I guess I'm easily impressed. And uh, who could afford $100? And if you buy $100, a pay per view, and then the match doesn't last very long, how crazy are you going to go? Mixed results from Dow Components, Boeing, and Coca-Cola beat while McDonald's misses. That's a big story today. Strength in energy, financials, technology, and telco services. MasterCard's up pretty big today. Visa's up pretty big. I like both companies. There's news out of China today allowing foreign card processors to compete with Union Pay, which is the only company that processes one-denominated card payments at this time. Broadcom reported better than expected results, and a lot of the semiconductor stocks are moving up with it. One of the hottest sectors of the year, biotech, you could buy it by owning an exchange-traded fund like IBB, uh, a little bit weaker today. So uh, but no big news, no big news there, in my opinion. Other takeaways from today, I would have to go back to Yahoo one more time, and one of the things that they did that they've never done before, in their quarter that they announced, they announced a product. Most companies, when they're announcing their quarter, don't introduce product. But there's this big thing going on. And again, I don't have my head around it or my hands around it or whatever I need to get around it. Daily fantasy sports. And Yahoo has an enormous audience with sports. An enormous. Users spend more than 30 billion minutes a year playing fantasy sports. If I go to bed early, when I get to work the next morning, at 4.30ish, 5.00, latest... Um, First thing I do is I check sports scores. Like, what did I miss from last night? Like, whoa, Chicago went into three overtimes to, you know, win their hockey game. They've got a great story with a a, a rookie goaltender who has been in five different hockey leagues in the last four or five years. Uh, He's turning out to be a hero. Just throwing it out there for you. The home sales numbers I thought were pretty good. But again, with that winner, there always comes a loser. And losers would be renters. Losers would be people who want to buy a house in the next year. They're feeling like prices are moving up too fast on them. KDOW is going to, be going to be playing a part in the Silicon Valley Chamber business on April 23rd. If you're one of those people who like to you know, mingle with Chamber members, there are going to be 1,000 plus there, non-members as well. Exhibitor tables, there's going to be seminars. Three seminars are going to be held. You have to register. It's free to register, but you can sign up online at sjchamber.com, sjchamber.com, it's coming up April 23rd, it's going to be an event that you want to be a part of. Uh, I'm Rob Black, I'm talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Um, Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Debt is piling up in Asia at a pretty aggressive rate. Asian countries borrowed heavily to maintain growth during the financial crisis, but they can't break the habit when the global economy healed. Growth is slowing fast across the continent, and consumers and businesses focus on repaying debt now. Central banks have cut rates, pushing currencies lower. Economies haven't picked up. Demand is very much so weak. Um, I'm not a doom and gloomer. If I were, I'd be pushing gold on you. I'm not a doom and gloomer. If I were, I'd be pushing annuities that make me a lot of money and you, screw you. Um, I don't like that. I don't like people who push doom and gloom. I like US capitalism. Uh, where if you have a dream to be successful, you can try to make it happen. I like the capitalism in that when things are good, you can hire people. When things are bad, you can fire people. It's part of the system. With that said, I'm still pretty positive out there. i got a big event coming up in San Jose this weekend, Money 101 from 9 to noon, and Wealth Preservation from 1 to 4. You can sign up at the event in San Jose